Soundstripe. expressed in this podcast are the opinion of the host and are meant to spark discussions. This podcast may contain series and larger universe spoilers. This season, I will be discussing Sarah J. Mass's most ambitious series, Throne of Glass. Please note that this podcast will cover topics such as depression, abuse, imprisonment, self-harm, and other topics that may not be suitable for younger listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Bookly Podcast. We are back in the closet, and we are starting off the new year. Oh, yeah. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy 2024, because by the time you are listening to this, it will be the second week in 2024. Starting off strong here, we are starting off with a laptop that is at 23% and a phone that is below 50% for recording. So... Here we go. I want to start off by saying that reading this series the second time is immensely satisfying. I just really appreciate the work Sarah J. Mass put into this series, reading it again. There are so many little details that just tie in later on that are mind-blowing right now once you realize and read it all. That being said, this episode is going to be pretty spoiler-heavy, so if you want to skip I completely understand if it's your first time reading. However, if you're like me and spoilers don't bother you because you want to know how they even get to the point of the spoiler, then welcome. As always, I would love to hear uh, some of your thoughts on the points we are going over and your theories. You can always reach out via my Instagram at the book leave podcast or on tiktok where i'm just nat hope harrington or you can send me an email at the book podcast at gmail.com so today we will be talking about uh the second short story in the assassin's blade novella which is the assassin and the healer for those of you who have read through you already know we are getting introduced to one of the most important characters in my opinion of the series irene towers albeit irene's decision making and other qualities about her are questionable at best (laughs) but without further ado here we go at the opening of this short story we have followed selena out of rifthold and ardalan altogether into another conquered territory of the empire melisan to a tiny dirty port town named inish however we do not start the story from selena's pov we start it from irene Irene has noticed Selena at the tavern of the tiny inn she works at named the White Pig. Selena is cloaked and armed to the teeth. Sarah J. Mass uses this phrase so much throughout these novels that I might start a drinking game. If you guys want to start a drinking game, every time Sarah J. Mass describes someone as armed to the teeth, take a shot. Obviously do this safely. Um, I will not be doing this right now, but I don't know. Something to think about. We learn that Irene has been working at the White Pig for almost a year, but the way she describes it make it seem like this was not her original plan to stay in Inish. She considers herself lucky, however, to have a job despite the inn owner being a complete douchebag, but her other option was to be a streetwalker. At least she was making a little bit of money and had a roof over her head. 
Irene considers the outside world too big, too full of splintered dreams, as she describes it, from the war that Ardalan has been waging over the continent. We learn that Irene is originally from Fenharrow, another one of the conquered countries, states, kingdoms, however we want to refer to it, that now make up Ardalan's empire. Irene describes herself as plainly pretty. She has absolutely ordinary brown hair, golden tan skin, and was of average height. She only takes pride in her golden brown eyes, which were bright. Irene, I completely, completely get this. I also have ordinary mousy brown hair. If it wasn't for the help of hair dye, thank you. I haven't seen my natural hair color since I was 16 years old, and I plan on keeping it that way. I don't think my husband has ever seen my natural hair color. And again, we are going to keep it that way. And I am absolutely tiny. I'm four foot ten, and I have pale skin, but you know, I get it. Ordinary features. As we switch over to Selena's perspective, we notice that she's observing Irene too. Selena's not an Inish because she wants to be. She is there because of her master, Arabin Hamill, who we learned in the last episode refers to himself as the King of Assassins, and Selena is his protege and heir. Arabin has sent her to Inish as her punishment for destroying his slave trade agreement with the pirate lord of Skulls Bay. Selena is disgusted by staying in Inish, but she has little choice than to wait for a ship to take her to Yerpa unless she wants to cross the continent on foot to get to the Red Desert, where she is to meet the mute master of the Silent Assassins and train with him, also part of her punishment. Since being conquered, much of the continent has fallen on hard times, with the exception of a few territories. Melisand is one of these territories. Melisand used to run trade through their eastern ports, but the king of Ardalan rerouted all trade through the territory to the south, which I actually looked up, and I have I talk about this in the next episode, about how I finally looked up how to pronounce. It's Elway? E-Y-L-L-W-E. Elway? So we're not going to mispronounce that anymore. At least we're not going to try. We are going to try to not mispronounce that, I should say. As I said last time, if you hear meowing and or something hitting the door in my closet, I apologize for my three cats. They have no manners whatsoever. So that meow you just heard was turkey. Turkey is not part of the story. (laughs) Selena resists the urge to touch her face. She's covered in bruises from the beating Arabin had given her by saving the lives of 200 slaves. She avoided looking in the silver mirror above her dresser, knowing what she'd see. Mottled purple and blue and yellow along her cheekbones, a vicious black eye, and a still healing split lip. But Selena still considers her actions worth the punishment she's enduring. It was worth it. It would always be worth it. We've learned at this point that Selena is a pretty vain person. She cares about her appearances a lot. However, her giving up her vanity for the greater good is something we will come to know as a core trait of selena selena will strip herself down if it means people are benefiting from it she would rather have herself be hurt and everything be taken away from her than other people that she deems close to her be hurt Selena admits that she's angry. She admits that sometimes she's so angry she can't think straight and that she's spoiling for a fight. 
Selena deals with a lot of the issues in her life through violence. We're going to start with the spoilers here. So if you want to skip a little ahead, now is the time to do it. I think, and I'm fairly confident in this assumption, Selena's anger stems from her childhood and the violence she experienced as a child when everything was taken from her. We know that her home territory was conquered when she was eight years old and that it got, oh gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? It got um, conquered and taken into the empire and became part of Ardalan. We know that she was not born in Ardalan we know that everything she loves was ripped from her at a young age. Childhood trauma is pretty common, and it's pretty common to see anger in people who have experienced trauma as a child. I'm not a psychologist. However, I have been in therapy for years. So you hear some of these terms. You hear some of this uh, being said by therapists and professionals. If Selena is 16 in this book, and we know that the Empire started taking over eight years ago, whatever happened to Selena happened when she was only eight years old. That is old enough for her to remember all of the details, as well as carry those scars with her into her life. Instead of fighting in the tavern, we find Selena's thoughts drifting towards running away again. If she were being honest with herself, though, she'd, start, she'd started entertaining the thought of not going to the Red Desert. She ruminates on what her life would be like if she just didn't come back to Rifthold at all, but eventually buries that thought away because she knows Arabin will spend the rest of her life hunting her down because, well, she still owes him a lot of money, she still hasn't bought her freedom from him, and she starts thinking about Sam. She didn't get to see Sam before she got shipped off to Inish. She doesn't even know what his punishment was or even if he got punished at all for helping her free the slaves. Selena pauses when thinking about Sam. She wants to consider him a friend, but she's never had the luxury of friends. This is another jab from her past. Selena didn't have many friends growing up because she was different from the other children and not because she was an assassin or the child of an assassin. No, Selena was gifted in so many ways, so many of the other children feared her. And this is a huge spoiler for later, but we'll get to that. Yet, she daydreams about running away, and once she'd settle and established... Yet, she daydreams about running away, and once she was settled and established, she would think about fetching Sam to run away with her and join her. Chapter 2 opens with Irene behind the bar and smelling trouble in the air of the tavern. She's thinking about warning Selena about the others in the tavern, that she should scurry off to her ship tonight, or she might die. <laughs> Not realizing that Selena could kill every single one of the other patrons in the bar and walk away looking absolutely fabulous covered in everyone else's blood. Irene starts thinking that despite the consequences, her mother would warn the girl. But Irene's mother was a vastly gifted magical healer, and Irene had inherited her gifts and magic from her. She was desperate to learn everything her mother knew about healing and dreamed of one day studying in the southern continent at the Tori Sesme, which was where all the best healers studied. That was until the Ardalinian soldiers came up to Irene's house and burned it to the ground and killed her mother. It was the first and only time her mother took a life. She could still hear her mother screaming for her to run. So Irene ran. 
Irene was 11 when she fled from home and stayed with a distant cousin of her mother's for the next seven years. Then, when she turned 18, she took whatever money she had left, setting out to Annika and the Tori Sesme, like she always wanted to do. She made it as far as Inish before she ran out of money, and, well, she was stuck at the White Pig, still trying to earn enough to get to Antica, but also not really trying. Irene is pulled from her thoughts by one of the men in the bar, grabbing her by the waist and insisting on her joining his table with his companions. Irene diffuses the situation by continuously turning the men down and calmly claiming that last calls in 40 minutes and that after work she has to go home to her husband. During this exchange, Selena has gone up to her room. She has barricaded herself in her room, not for her safety, but the safety of anyone should they try to enter her room. She's in there for all of 15 minutes before she leaves again, looking for a fight, for an adventure. Irene had finally closed the bar and started cleaning up. She was taking the last of the garbage out and laying it, laying out the leftover food in the alley for the vagrants who would come and take it away overnight. To lay it out deep in the alley since if Nolan, the innkeeper, caught her, he would take the cost of the food out of her wages. She heard someone approaching in the alley. It was the mercenary man from before who had grabbed her waist and insisted on her joining him. She tried to make it back to the safety of the inn, but the man and his companions cornered her, asking for her tip money that she had made tonight. Before she knew what was happening, the man farthest from her disappeared. Irene was shocked when a dark figure appeared out of nowhere and grabbed the third mercenary. The ringleader of the group calls out for the person to show themselves and to face them like a proper man. Selena steps forward with two long daggers in her hands that were dripping blood. Irene was breathing heavy as she saw Selena. As the men were distracted, she started backing away, but Selena took care of the men before the fight even really started. Irene begs for Selena not to kill her. Selena laughs and asks what of saving her would have been then. Selena claims that it was luck that she happened to stalk the mercenaries as they were going into the alley Selena claims it was luck that she happened to stalk the mercenaries as they were going into the alley where Irene was. One of them got away, but she didn't feel like chasing after him. Irene offers to bandage up the cut on Selena's arm, but Selena's furious with her. She was angry at Irene for being scared and trembling and useless. Irene says, Silva knows what was on that blade. Selena pauses. No one invokes the goddess of healing anymore. Unless, unless they were a magically gifted healer. Irene offers to bandage the wound again as repayment for Selena saving her life. Wrong thing to say. This irritates Selena further. You wouldn't owe me anything if you used some common sense. I'm sorry, Irene says softly. Selena has to remind herself it's not Irene's fault that not everyone was forced to learn how to defend themselves at a very young age by a cruel master with dangerous and harmful methods. We're looking at you, Arabin. I forget one point in the series Selena says this, but she tells someone, and I'm sure we'll get to this, that, you know, when she was nine years old, she had to, it was some kind of punishment for something she didn't do right, but Arabin made her, oh, no, I'm sorry, it was... He was trying to teach her how to fight with her non-dominant hand. 
he forced her to break her, her dominant hand by putting it in a door jam and slamming the door on it over and over and over again so that then she would have to fight with her left hand, which was not her dominant hand. That's child abuse. We're going to leave that there for right now. Irene curls in on herself for a moment, almost like she's sobbing. But when she pulls herself together, she demands to clean Selena's arm. Selena notices the difference in her voice, a strength and resolution there now. So she decides to follow Irene into her room and allow her to clean the wound. Irene brings Selena into her room because she's afraid that the other men would be waiting for them upstairs in the inn. Also, Irene didn't want to see any more killing or bleeding. Spoiler alert, please skip ahead if you don't want to hear. The fact that Irene says she doesn't want to see any more killing or bleeding and then like a couple pages later tells Selena that she wants to study at the Tori Sesme and then come back to Ardalan to help people and be a healer. Irene, what are you doing? <laughs> you literally can't have your cake and eat it too. I just think it's I just think it's hysterical that Irene doesn't want to see any more killing or death or bleeding, but she wants to be a healer. What are you going to do, Irene, when someone comes to you with like a mortal wound? Are you going to just be like, nope, that's too much blood for me. I've seen enough blood in my life. I'm good. This wound's not for me. Are you just going to turn them away? Anyway, after Irene goes to get her supplies for healing, she is surprised that Selena has removed her hood, cloak, and tunic. It's important to note that throughout this short story, Selena and Irene do not know each other's names. Irene refers to Selena as the girl. Selena refuses to give Irene her name, stating it's none of her concern. Irene is caught off guard in this moment by how young Selena is, younger than her even, and that she was beautiful. She notices Selena's scars, but notices that she's not hiding them. No, Selena is proud of her scars. Again, spoiler alert, we will become very acquainted with how important scars are to Selena as we go through this series. Selena uses them as almost a storytelling device to herself and as reminders and promises she has made to people. Irene tells Selena about her plans to go to Annika and study at the Tori Sesme and reveals that she doesn't have any money to go now. Irene mentions that Selena's eyes flash like wildfire. For those of you that haven't read, wildfire means nothing to you yet, but it will mean everything to you very soon. For those of you who have read and are reading this again for the second, third, however many times, are you smiling at this now? I know I was smiling. I saw this and I'm just like, oh my gosh, everything truly does come back. Everything Sarah J. Mass writes truly is like a full circle moment. Selena suggests that Irene should just steal the money and go. If she wants something, she should just take it. Irene balks at this and says she is no thief. Again, Irene compares Selena to wildfire, but this time saying the girl is wildfire. Again, if you know, you know. Irene then tells Selena about her mother, how she was killed by the Empire, and how she would come back to Fenharrow, to help the people after studying at the Tory. Sarah J. Mass is just such a good world-building author, and 
I'll get more into it in the next episode because the next episode but I think this series especially showcases how good of a world builder Sarah J Mass is because these literal two sentences will tie into the whole bigger plot like 3,000 pages later after reading this book again for the second time and knowing what the final outcome is now I just it's just so mind-blowing to see the groundwork she laid out right here in this novella for later books in the series the careful attention to detail she had that nothing is too small not to tie in and she does it flawlessly if you're a Taylor Swift fan, you understand how I feel because y'all look for Easter eggs and clues in everything Taylor says, writes, wears. Reading the Throne of Glass series and like the larger Sarah J Mass universe is like that for me. I'm reading this time around and I'm finding all these little breadcrumbs carefully laid out by Sarah and I'm just hanging on every single one of them. Not to mention I am so deep into book, into book talk. It's... um it's laughable at this point and kind of embarrassing but i'm i'm out there reading everybody's theories reading what everybody has to say all the spoilers um especially with crescent city coming out so soon i'm just i'm eating it up once irene finished up binding the cut on selena's arm selena suggests that irene ought to know how to defend herself regardless of what she chooses to do with her life and proceeds to teach Irene basic self-defense move that would render any opponent useless. She teaches Irene not to let herself be cornered, to scream not about what is happening to her, but about a fire to draw attention to where someone may be attacking to her, how to step on the arch of a foot properly, how to drive a hand into someone's nose, how to get out of a chokehold. Selena works with Irene until dawn is upon them, and when Irene says she should teach the other barmaid, Jessa, Selena responds that you should teach any female who will take the time to listen. Selena's thoughts drift while she's teaching Irene. She thinks about the time when she herself desired to wander to the Torre and the Southern Continent, but again, she reels her thoughts back in, saying it was a lifetime ago, a different person ago. I literally want to scream reading that sentence right now. <sighs> Dear reader, if this is your first time, I want you to highlight this sentence. And when we get to the part of the books where this becomes relevant again, I just want to know your reaction. We will call this back out and I will write a note to myself to do reactions to this. As Selena and Irene are wrapping up, Selena hears something in the alley. She looks at Irene and motions for her to get back inside. The man who had gotten away the last time had returned, and with friends this time. Irene is hiding inside, but she wants to know what is happening to Selena. She wants to help. But as she's contemplating going outside, one of the men must have been inside, and he comes up behind her and puts a knife to her throat and leads her outside. Once outside, the man orders Selena to drop her weapons. She, of course, does no such thing. Instead, Selena is just looking at Irene gesturing with her eyes, as girls do, to do something, anything, fight for herself. I can just imagine Selena in this moment looking at Irene and, you know, do, you know what eyes she's giving her. It's kind of the, dude, you know, the eyebrows raised and like, what the fuck are you doing right now? Irene, hello. Just the, you know, the widened eyes, eyebrows going up like, hello, do something. Finally, 
Irene snaps into action. She stomps on the man's foot and then gets out of the chokehold. He has her in and finally knocks him out with a blow to his temple. Irene runs away. Selena praises Irene, but Irene is furious for Selena not doing anything. Selena laughs and says she wanted to test Irene in a controlled environment. Big giant air quotes on controlled environment. She wanted to show Irene that she could defend herself when the time came. Still furious, Irene goes to wash the blood out of her clothes, leaving Selena without so much of a, as a goodbye or thank you. I honestly don't get mad at Irene at this point for calling Selena insane because that's exactly what Selena did to Irene is. It's insane. At the beginning of the next chapter, Irene is back in her room and changing to go back to work. But she notices a leather pouch and a note under it on her bed. She knew that the bag contained a whole lot of gold just by looking at it. She pulled out the note and knew it was from Selena. For wherever you need to go, and then some, the world needs more healers. No name, no date. Selena had also left her the giant ruby brooch she had been wearing this entire time. An hour later, Irene walked out of the white pig and never looked back. Selena went and boarded her ship that would take her to the Red Desert. She couldn't stop thinking about Irene, about how many children there were, like her and Irene, that had lost everything to the Empire's rule, that had their homelands destroyed because of it, and nowhere to call home. Selena knows magic had been gone and the gods had left them all to rot, yet she felt something, a tug, she calls it, on a strand in, in an invisible web. Selena decided to tug back and see how far and wide the reverberations would go. That sentence right there is basically the whole Throne of Glass series summed up. Selena does something, everybody reacts. <laughs> so maybe it was the gods at work. Maybe it was some force beyond them, beyond mortal comprehension. Or maybe it was just for what and who Selena would never be. I will spare you my screaming, people, because these last few pages of this chapter are just ah, so full of fucking spoilers. Let me just say this. This is not her ruminating on her being a bad person because she's an assassin, and I'm going to leave it at that. I need to leave some surprises for you guys that have not read through this series yet. And have managed to avoid all the spoilers on the internet. If there are any one of you truly reading through this for the first time and have no clue of what actually happens, please reach out to me. I just want to know how many of there you are. So, Selena prayed that somehow, years from now, Irene Towers would return to this continent and maybe, just maybe, heal their shattered world just a little bit. I know you guys can't see this, but my hand, my face is in my hands right now. It's nearly killed me reading it again. This little detail right here. This one little itty bitty sentence. This, this series is like, I don't know, like 3,000 pages long, maybe longer. And this one little sentence right here. <laughs> Irene is the key to so many things. And it's it, uh, Sarah J. Mass is just screaming at us that, hey, this is all important. And this is all so significant. 
So with that, we are done for today. This is a quick and short one. The Assassin and the Healer is very short. I think it's only like six chapters or something like that. Um, I want to thank everyone again for being here and sharing this experience with me. Next week, we are going to read The Assassin in the Desert. Please read up to page 225 in the paperback. Next week's episode will be a pretty lengthy and meaty one. So, you know, catch up on the last two if you haven't heard them yet. Or, I don't know, look into more theories and whatnot. I will also be doing a bonus episode, I think, on the most anticipated books of this year. And obviously, Crescent City will be number one on that list. But we'll have little bonus episodes like that. So be sure to take a look on socials and see what's going on. If you like this episode, please follow the podcast and leave a rating and review. And don't forget to follow along on Instagram and TikTok for even more bookly content. Thank you again for listening. Bye.